Girls did a great job. Awesome. Proud of you. Especially considering who you had to work with. Yeah. <laughs> Band does a great job. Thankful for them. Let's give them a hand tonight. Yep. All right. I'm going to give you the tally here, or the 93% in favor. Amen? All right. I try not to be bitter over those who get a better vote than I did. All right. That's all right. I'm a big person. I'll get over it. All right. I'm still here. <laughs> Dad got in with 51%. Amen. It's awesome. He stuck her out. Just got to outlive the 49. 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5 tonight, 11 through 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 17. Ministry, motives, methods, and means. It's titled tonight's sermon as we see a little glimpse into the heart, into the mind, and life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, man, this, I don't know, it's, every time that you, you get into the book, and you just, just mine out just a little bit, that God has got something for you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, man, it's amazing uh, that it, the word never gets old, that there's all, no matter how dig you deep, you, how dig you, how deep you dig, you always go deeper, or how dig you deep, or whatever, all right, yeah, it's going to be all right. I'm not even medicated. Tonight, three things. Paul is compelled by the fear of the Lord. He's compelled by the fear of the Lord. Number two, Paul is controlled, controlled by the love of Christ, controlled by the love of Christ. And lastly, he's convinced in the power of the gospel. He's convinced in the power of the gospel. And I believe those three statements are strong statements. I think they're very clear uh, in the word of God here. And I think they are very instructive for your life and my life uh, as we uh, desire to follow the Lord and, and minister in ways that will please and honor him. Uh, I believe that we can really, really learn from uh, Paul's uh, words of, of his own testimony, words of his own life here. And I think it should challenge us. It should cause us to look at our own life and our own motives and methods and means uh, by which we minister. So tonight, start a reading in verse number 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who, which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, 
Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let's pray. Father, we just ask your blessing upon the reading, the preaching of your word tonight. Lord, may we have uh, a, a desire, a desire to hear uh, that what you would say to us tonight from your word. We're trusting, God, that your spirit, Lord, would do his job of teaching us, showing us, instructing us. Lord, turning the light on in our hearts and lives tonight. And Father, things that we have that've never been clear before, God, I pray that you'd make them clear. And Lord, things that we've never understood, God, that you would help us to see, Lord, what it really means to walk with you and after you. And uh, we pray for the kids in Awana tonight. And Lord, that you would just guide their hearts and you'd guard their hearts. And Lord, draw them to yourself, God. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, Paul, that is he, uh, he has been writing about his own uh, walk with the Lord and what uh, he is anticipating that he lives in anticipation of that one day that his life will, he will give an account, not that we're going to be uh, judged for our sins as believers because uh, our judgment has been taken care of, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he took care of that on the cross. And that we're not going to have to deal with that one day, but our lives will, that will be determined uh, what level, degree, amount, however you look at it, of reward uh, that our life will produce. And so uh, with that, uh, that's where our value and our worth really come in uh, for eternity that our life is going to count for something. Uh, and for the glory of God, not so that we can uh, prance around and, and stick our chest out and say, hey, look what I did. But we can ultimately, that we can say, oh, thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he saved me. I'm here by the grace of God. All right. And so uh, Paul, in that theme and in that mode and that line of thought is, is which uh, verse number 11 comes into play. All right. And so at first glance, and I don't, think it's, I don't think that it is heretical, all right, or that it is wrong uh, for us to take uh, what I'm about to say out of this text, all right, but, all right, so sometimes we look at this, and since we, uh, we may look at this and say, oh, since we know the terror of the Lord, since we know how bad hell is, then we're going to go witness, all right, and I believe that's a good motivation, all right, it's a good motivation for us to know that hell is a real place, that people are really going there, that it's really terrible, that it's really forever, and that we're really separated from God. So that should persuade us to go and to tell men the truth and to let them know of the saving power of Jesus. Yes, but, but in the context, but in the context in which this is uh, written in and what we've been talking about rewards at the judgment seat of Christ and that sort of thing. I believe that it is best understood, all right, in the context that you and I, 
that you and I as believers, that we are to live in such a reverential awe of who God is in great respect and love and, and admiration for His great salvation, that you and I should live our lives to totally please Him and to totally bring honor and glory to His great name. Now that, I believe, in the context of this scripture is really what this verse is talking about and that through our lives, listen, through our lives that men are to see the genuineness of our faith and the reality of a resurrected Lord. And so that really, I think, in a nutshell is what this initial phrase is teaching us and telling us that we believers, that we are to live in awe of the greatness and the goodness of God our Father. And that as we live life, that our lives shall prove out that Christ is Lord, that this faith that we say we have is the real deal. And that Christ isn't a bag of bones in a grave somewhere, but he got up and he's alive and he is affecting our lives even today. All right? And so Paul, that he was adamant, he was adamant about that. And he, he wanted, because he was, always, he was always dealing with people that were, that were contrary to him. Always dealing with congregations and false teachers that were nitpicking him to death. That were worrying the snot out of him and he couldn't get done doing what he needed to do for dealing with them. And so he is saying, hey, my life should be testimony enough of what God has done. And I'm not up here making this stuff up. This is from God what he's doing. And so for the Apostle Paul, this was, this was important. It was necessary in his life. But here he says, but we, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. So God already knows who he is. Paul said, God knows. I'm an open book to God. And the same for you and for me, that God knows us. God knows our heart. God knows our intent. And God knows our desires. And not sometimes, Ronnie Stinson, I can lie to myself, but I can't fool God. I can fool me, but I can't fool God. All right? And so Paul, he says, no, I know that everything I am is already made manifest. It's already laid open. It's laid open to God and that he sees it as it really is. And so what Paul desires is that the Corinthians, he says, and I trust, are also made manifest to you. So he, he, his hope and prayer was that even he knew who he was, he knew the motivation of his life was to please God because he had saved him, because he had changed him, and he desired to affect the people. He said, God knows me, but I pray and my, my heart's desire is that these people here at Corinth, these people that are nitpicking me to death, that they would one day see the truth of who I really am in my heart. And so that's really the essence of all of us, it's not the facade that we put on, it's not who we want people to think we are, but ultimately it's about who we really are as people, down deep in our hearts. That's what he's getting at. 
and 12, he says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. So Paul is aware that what he has just said could be misunderstood, that it could be uh, misconstrued as being proud as being boastful, as uh, trying to elevate himself to a position that he was really not at. And it could come across as just plain being full of himself. He recognized that. But in Paul's defense that he was simply putting the truth out there as it really was, and it had to fall where it may. But that's what he did. He put the truth out there. And so he comes back and says, hey, I'm not... I'm not trying to commend or, or brag about myself. And he, I think it's neat how he uses the word again. You see, because this isn't the first time he's had to defend himself against these people. That Paul, that over and over again, it seems like that he is having to defend himself. But here he says that this isn't simply for me. He says, but give, you an occasion to, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. Paul says, what I'm doing is just getting out there who I am. So that when the time comes that you for yourself will be able to say, hey, you're wrong. You're, you're not telling the truth about Paul. This is who he is and this is what he is about. That Paul, that he was he was in need of somebody to come to his defense. Not just sit there and let them bad, bad mouth him, but somebody speak up for me, not just for me as a person, but me as a genuine messenger of God. That's what his desire was. It wasn't Paul saying, woe is me, but this was against the gospel. It's against the gospels. People's souls were at stake. And he said, hey, somebody take a defense because the gospel is at stake. He says, feel free to share the truth. You know, we feel free to share everything but the truth, don't we? What is it? The, uh, the, the truth will sit around trying to get its shoes on while lies travel the world two times, right? Yes. Feel free to share the truth is what Paul was saying here. And about the gospel and about him and his ministry. You know, this, uh, this morning in Sunday school was talking about the fact that we, uh, we as the church, uh, that we should be the best publicity for our church. All right? That we, the church, should be the best publicity for our church. That we should be quick to speak and tell the good things that God is doing, all right, among us. And that we shouldn't keep it quiet. We shouldn't be ashamed. We're not ashamed of anything else. Don't be ashamed of the good things that God is doing among his people. And so, like many, the critics were good at putting on a show. It says that they may have somewhat to answer, they which glory in appearance and not... In heart. Now, if that, if that isn't a timely message, I don't know what is. Because we, we live in a day and age of appearance. 
That, that we, you know, the church, that we as individuals, that we want to put on dog and pony shows to make everything look good, or that we as individuals, that we want to look a certain way, whether that be, you know, that we want to, you know, look trendy or, or whatever, and, and people in ministry, that that's our desires to, to look better. We spend much more effort on how we look than over who we are. And friend, if we're going to be ministering the gospel, we should be much more concerned about our hearts than we are our hair. All right? And friend, there's a big difference there. That friend, there's things that are outside that really amount to nothing. And there are things that make up the quality of a person. And those things are found in our hearts. Now... The true picture is always the inside. Sure, it's great when a person can be beautiful on the inside and the outside. Now, I heard the other day on the radio, guy said, I'd never seen an ugly bride, but some of them are just barely pretty. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good one. Friend, we need to be beautiful beautiful on the inside our hearts that's really matters that's what really matters is what does our heart look like 13 for whether we be beside ourselves it is God or whether we be sober it is for your cause that's a funny verse Paul said I might be crazy but it's for the right reason <laughs> it's exactly what he said for whether we be beside ourselves, apparently plenty of, plenty of told Paul, you're a nut. You're crazy. What other explanation for a man to live like Paul lived? To say no to himself like Paul did. To go back in the ring time and time again after he'd had his head knocked off. He said, Paul, you must be a lunatic. And Paul confesses it may not make a whole lot of sense to the natural man. You know what? And as we follow Christ, as you follow Christ, it's not going to make a lot of sense to the natural man. People observe your life say, what in the world are you doing? Why in the world do you live like you live? And Paul says, that's all right. He says, I might be a little cuckoo, but I'm doing it for the Lord. You know what? That, that, there's nothing wrong with... Even people today who might take their little jabs at you, make a little fun at, uh, you know, at the water cooler, at the coffee pot, or whatever. But knowing at the end of the day that you love the Lord God with all your heart, and that you're doing what you're doing out of a pure motive, and because that He saved you, because He's changed your life, and there's nobody else in this world has done for you what Jesus has done for you. And said, and said, just in case I'm sane, that's what he says here, and I might be sane for whether we be sober, he says it's for your cause. He said, whether I'm crazy, I'm doing it for the Lord. And if I'm sane, I'm doing it because I love you. Man, what, what a heart. He had a heart, a great capacity to love God. He had a great capacity, great capacity to love people. But the way Paul looked at it, one way or another, that he was a winner either way. Loving God and loving people. 
And that's really what it's all about. We can define our lives by those two things, that we've lived a successful life if we've loved God and we've loved people. And Paul, that he, he got that. In 14 and 15, we see that he's controlled by the love of Christ. It says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and if that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, you know, I believe at some point that we all uh, examine the life of Paul, or, and not just Paul, but any of these faithful men in the Bible that, that we have to, to look and analyze and, and question what in the world, what in the world was their motivation, what in the world kept them going and kept them in the trenches and kept them serving the Lord like they did, man, because, you know, somebody look at us funny and we're ready to quit and bow down and, you know, roll over and play dead and everything else. And, and here, man, this guy, he would not stop for nothing. He, they couldn't make him quit. He says, the answer's simple. It's the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Now, that, that must be, that must be the ultimate motivation in your life and mine, the love of Christ. You know, if you've been here a number of years, you've heard Dad say that when he walked the aisle of Beulah Baptist Church, he said, if he can die for me, I can live for him, right? And Dad didn't realize it, but he's real similar to what the Apostle Paul said. Because it's what Christ did for him that motivated him. And through all the years I know that dad pastored and dad tried to be faithful. That it was the love of Christ that kept him going day in and day out. That's what it was. Now when we talk about the love of Christ. This isn't talking about our love for Christ. It's talking about Christ's love for us. You get that? that that's, the big, that's the big picture right here. That's the beautiful thing in this text of Scripture that Paul, that he had a grip on Christ's love for us. That he knew. That he knew that that was the most important thing in life and that he could not get away from the cross. And the cross is what kept on energizing him day in and day out. And as old Bette Medler would sing, truly that was the wind beneath his wings that kept him going day in and day out. It wasn't him. It wasn't, oh, how I love Jesus. But it's, oh, how Jesus loves me. Because I love him because he what? First loved me. That's why I love him. That's why you love him. It's because he first loved you. That he took the initiative in your life. That he went to the cross. He bore your sin. That he took your hell so you could escape hell. That's what Christ did for us. Oh, we should live our life for him. Absolutely. Without compromise. Without question. Yes, it's worth us giving. It's worth us giving our lives. And there's nothing that can top that motivation. 
And that's why it's so important that we, as Christian people, that we never get too far away from the cross. That there must be a cross, Christ-centered message that is heralded, that is trumpeted from the pulpit, from the Sunday school classes, from the songs that we sing. We cannot get away from the cross because that is the only lasting motivation in life. It's the cross. And what Christ has done, the death that he died, the life that he gave, the cross. It says, if one died for all, then we're all dead. Christ's death became our death. He died for us, died in our place. And 15, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. Now the argument's pretty straightforward here. That Jesus died for all, that all would live for him. Get it? Jesus died for all, so that all would live for him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And Paul makes that argument very plain. And that, that's straightforward in our life. That, that might should be posted on our refrigerator. And we'd understand the truth of that. Jesus didn't die for us to live our own way, to do our own thing, to be our own boss, set our own hours, none of that stuff. He didn't die for that mess. He died so that we would live for Him. And my goodness, we need to hear that today. Because we're living to self. And I believe that every generation that comes after that we're more and more living to self look around you tell me are we living to self more and more absolutely we're not we're feeding ourselves. we're feeding our desires and my friend that we have been called not to live for self we have been called to die to self and to live unto Christ that's what we're called to do and so he died for us and we're to turn over our lives and surrender to him Knowing, knowing that when we die, only then can we live. We're not going to live until we die. It's impossible. It won't work. And Paul, he got that. He learned it. 16, 17. Paul's convinced in the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, 16, 17. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh... Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. That's, that's a, that, that hurts my brain to even read it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Now, what Paul is trying to convey here, I believe, is that since his own conversion, that he is no longer judging people by the externals of appearance and achievement. He's no longer judging by the flesh. And before his conversion, that he uh, by nature did that. And that's how mankind does. Uh, that from, from the Old Testament, we referenced that a verse the other day, and I heard a good friend reference that verse the other day in 1 Samuel 16, that man looks at the outside and God looks at the inside. He looks at the inside. 
And Paul said that he no longer judged men after their appearance or after, after things on the outside and just how they may seem to be. Paul admitted at one time he looked at Jesus that way. Didn't look at him for who he was. Just made some cheap glancing comments about him, observations about him. and Just another Nazarene, just another peasant teacher, just a nobody on the outside. He judged everything on the surface. But you see, things have changed, not anymore. That Paul, he judged Christ Jesus not by an outward appearance, but he judged him because and how that he had changed his life. He judged him by a different standard. That now Paul knew him for who he was. That Paul knew him intimately. That Paul knew him well. Boy, isn't it, sometimes we can make wrong observations and wrong estimations of who people are without getting to know them. And friend, until you get to know Jesus, you're not going to make the right observation and estimation of who he is. But if you'll spend some time to get along with Jesus and get to know who he is, then friend, you'll have the proper perspective of him. All right? And that's what Paul said that he come to do. They come to know him because the Holy Spirit made him known in a real way to him. Do you know Christ? Do you know him in a real way? You simply know what you've read and it's so, it's so, it's so unreal that he's, he's just a person on a page that he, he's not someone you've ever met but friend, if, if the Holy Spirit if you ever let him get a hold of your heart, he'll be like somebody that you can't get away from somebody that you want to be with somebody that you want to be like somebody that you want to spend eternity with that's who he'll be he'll spend time with him 17, we're done. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now you tell me, is there anyone else who could have written this verse and it means so much as it does coming from the Apostle Paul? Man, there, there are people even here tonight that Christ has made a dramatic change in you. Man, you were, you were just hell-bent and hell-bound. And you met Christ. And He changed your going. Man, it was a dramatic change that Christ brought in your life. And that's how it was with Paul. Or Saul. Saul. When he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Changed him forever. Changed his name. And what a powerful punch this verse has when we think about it coming from him. One that God had done such a great work in. Paul uses one of my favorite phrases. In Christ. Man, what a beautiful phrase. Those two words, they mean so much. We're His. Our life is consumed in His life. That we're identified with Him. Being in Christ. Paul got that. A new creation, a new creature. Talking about a quality of life. 
Tell you what, you come to know Christ, your quality of life is going to improve, I'll tell you. Now, you may not, you may not be sporting a Rolex, but your quality of life is going to improve. You're going to live life like you've never lived it before. You never had the capacity. You've never had the opportunity until you met Christ. The old has passed away and all's new. How can he say that? How can he say that? Because we're new people. We're not reformed people. We're not refab people. We're not rehabilitated people. We're new. We need to hear that. We're new. In Christ, our life will never be the same. If you think you've met Christ and your life hasn't changed, you've not met Christ. So tonight, I challenge you to look at your life. It's like Brandon Kilcoin talked about. He'd gone through the motion, he had been dunked, he had walked the aisle, he had done all that, but his life was empty. And I don't care if you joined every church there is and your life's empty without Christ, you're damned and going to hell. That's it. At the end of the day, that's all that, that's it. If you know Christ, He's come to make you new. To make you a new creation in Him. Now, will your life be perfect? No. But it'll be new. Will your life have some bumps in it? Boy, mine sure does. What about yours? But we have a quality of life like we've never known before. We have a life walking hand in hand with Jesus. We've got a life of walking with brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got a life of joy. A life of happiness like we've never had before. Yeah, there are going to be bad days, absolutely. But I tell you what, your bad days, you're not going to be alone anymore in your bad days. You're not going to be deserted anymore. You're going to have a friend that sits closer than a brother in your life. It's like nothing you've ever experienced in your whole entire life. And Paul knew it. Paul experienced it. And Paul just didn't experience it for himself. That Paul was convinced with all of his heart that the same good news that brought him freedom. The same good news that brought him life. That if he would get out and share the gospel, if he would preach and he would teach, if he would share one-on-one the glorious gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, and he come to transform your life into something like you've never imagined before. He was convinced that this gospel would do the job. That's right, that's right. And so... Everywhere he went, every day, every way, then somehow or another, that he was faithful to share his faith. Let me ask you, are you convinced in the power of the gospel to still change lives? My goodness, some of you should be. I know know what God's done in your heart. You think that God just wants to do it for you? Oh, there's a thousand other people just like you that God wants to set free. And he'll still do it if we'll turn it loose. Let's pray together. Father, for this moment, as we come to this time of invitation, God, I pray that you would just uh, make this a time that's just, just settled on you. And God, that we would have 
no other things that's pulling at our mind at this moment. But God, that we'd be able to fix our minds on what you've spoken to us about. And God, may we have guts enough, integrity enough, God, to follow through with those things that you've spoken to our hearts about tonight. So God, I, I just pray that people will be obedient, will be challenged by your word tonight. And Lord, that we can leave here saying it's been good to be in your house. So Father, we give it to you as best we know how in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Nathan, when you come tonight, receive the people. Guys, would y'all stand up? We're going to have a time of invitation. Have a time of invitation tonight. And I don't know, I don't know who needs to come. I believe God spoke in somebody's heart tonight. I really do. I really do. If that's you, we have time for you. Have time for you to do business with the Lord. Maybe you've been dabbling in the things of God. And God's calling you to to a, a new seriousness in your walk. Knowing that the days are short. The time is now. It's not tomorrow. The time is now. For you to get in the things of God. To make it a priority in your life. And become real. Use your life for something of eternal value. Time is now for you to do that. You've waited long enough. You've wasted too many years. Come right now. Just as you are. Brother Mike, lead us as we sing. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? That the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wandering heart. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you Be obedient tonight. Be obedient. God's spoken to your heart. Come on. Come on. There's time for you. Others have come. I believe there's time for you. It's a day for you. Right now. Come. Will you? Just be obedient to the Spirit of God. Speaking to your heart. In that very loud, soft voice. He's calling you to himself tonight. Who am I? That the would look on me with love and watch me rise again. Who am I that the voice that come to seek would call out to the rain and calm the soul in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow.